0: If you would, please turn to uh, the 6th chapter of the book of Romans. Romans chapter 6. We'll be reading the entire chapter and focusing on verses 3 through 5. Word of the Lord. Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace." I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death." But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Well, today we are especially joyful in being able to bring Corrine Evans and Desmond Gomez into the sacrament of baptism. I was also especially joyful when writing this sermon uh, because Jim Evans had already written some of it. Uh, that always helps, you know, in writing a sermon. Uh, Jim and Beverly have done a, a great deal of study and preparation on baptism, uh, as I know the Gomez's have as well. And Jim was kind enough to send me some of their thoughts and conclusions on baptism recently. Some time ago, actually. And I, uh, in writing this sermon, I pulled them out again to take a look at, because I appreciated them very much. I wanted to share them with you. I think, I think uh, they have explained it beautifully. He said, we baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, instead of just Jesus' name. Why is that? In Scripture, we see this example used several times. Peter said to be baptized uh, in the name, uh, excuse me, Peter uh, did not say Jesus' name only. Uh, the word name means authority, like stop in the name of the law. So the name of Jesus, the authority of Jesus, and the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are the same authority. Christ has given, been given the full authority of God because he is God. Uh, and he, Jim continued to write why do we believe uh, in, in sprinkling or pouring uh, he says it represents the sprinkling of blood on the sacrificial altar it represents the blood on the door at Passover the blood represents the blood of uh, the water represents the blood of Christ that pardons our sins. Excuse me, the blood. I'll get this. The blood represents the blood of Christ that pardons our sins in the Old Testament, and then of course uh, uh, the blood on the doorway uh, represented the blood of Christ uh, and all of the other bloody sacrifices uh, that pardons our sins. And the water represents the washing of, of our sins away. Um, in the New Testament, there are two sacraments. Now, as we said last week, uh, when we had the sacrament, of, celebrated the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, uh, but I will remind you, what is a sacrament? Uh, the word comes from the Latin sacramentum, uh, and uh, that's a translation of the Greek uh, mysterium or uh, mystery, that's where we get the word uh, mystery. Uh, and that mystery in, in the Bible It's not the same as we think of a mystery today, like, you know, a murder mystery or something. Uh, it is uh, things that have been hidden by God uh, to people. Uh, particularly, it's used in context of uh, things that uh, were not clear to people in the Old Testament. They were a mystery, but they've been revealed to us. Um, you know, the mystery of godliness, uh, Christ in you, the, the hope of glory. Um, the uh, fact that Jesus Christ would come as the Messiah wasn't clear to everybody uh, and what what he would accomplish. All of these were mysteries that scripture says even the angels desire to look into. So sacramentum in uh, in Latin, uh, of course Latin was the language of the the, uh, old Roman Empire, that word meant the oath of a soldier as we looked at last week. Uh, sacramentum or oath was taken uh, by the soldier in order to be part of his military unit. Uh, he would take an oath actually to his commander, to be loyal to his commander. They actually had, if you remember in our look at uh, some of the seven cities of Revelation, uh, we talked about uh, um, uh, the, the point of a tattoo uh, being, they actually would, uh, some of them would tattoo the name of their commander on their forehead. Uh, and showing their absolute loyalty to that commander. Um, and this sacramentum or this oath the soldier would take that he would be loyal to his officer. And it's in our Christian sacraments that we are, as one author has said, by oath consigned to our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're sworn to the Lord Jesus Christ through the sacramentum or the sacraments. Now, in both sacraments of the Lord's Supper and a baptism, we see the gospel set before us. The gospel is displayed outwardly before us. How is, that, how is that the case? We have two ways of setting the death of Christ before our eyes, and both of them are ordained by God to remain in the church until the end of time. One of them, as I said, is the Lord's Supper, Uh, The other is baptism. And I said in the Lord's Supper, when we partake of the elements of the Lord's Supper, the bread and the wine, we are symbolically ingesting um, Christ. He said, this is my body, this is my blood, take and eat, drink. Uh, So we're symbolically ingesting Christ, and he becomes a part of us. Just like, uh, as I've indicated, if if you... If you later on, you said, okay, well, I want to go through my body and separate that bread I ate and that wine I I drank in the Lord's Supper, you couldn't do it. It's part of you, and that's a beautiful symbol of what Christ is uh, in the Christian. He is part of the Christian, as Paul said, to me, to live is Christ. so that's what the Lord's Supper represents, the gospel outwardly. Uh, by seeing the baptism, we see the gospel set before our eyes in the need of purification. See, if we weren't guilty, we wouldn't need to be forgiven. Uh, but just as if we weren't dirty, we wouldn't need to take a shower. But if, if we didn't have dirty hearts, we wouldn't need the sprinkling of the blood of Christ. Uh, the gospel sets forth not only who we are, but what our need is and what God's solution is for us. Now, I know that baptism is a controversial thing in the Christian church. Some believe in doing it one way, some believe in doing it another way, some believe certain people should be baptized, others believe this and that. Well, the Bible doesn't give us Detailed instructions as to how we are to baptize. Uh, that's why there's disagreement about the mode of baptism in the, in the church. Some will say, "Well, here this part of Scripture says we ought to do it this way," and others say, "Well, no, this Scripture that's you don't understand it properly, and it should be done that way." We do know that baptism is a sign and a seal, which I'll speak more in a moment. It's a symbol, also, as, as we just as I just said, of water. Uh, symbolizing Christ washing the soul clean uh, now we know that Christ washed only the apostles feet to symbolize the cleansing of their souls in John 13 uh, even when Peter asked him to wash his hands and his head Christ said washing the feet was enough to symbolize the cleansing of their souls uh, now, so even though the Bible doesn't give us the exact mode of baptism, it does speak of sprinkling and pouring, such as in Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-five, "I will sprinkle clean water upon you; you shall be clean." Uh, I will in Isaiah forty-four, "I will pour my spirit on thy seed," and uh, Isaiah fifty-two fifteen says, "So shall he sprinkle many nations," which is a prophecy of the commission in Matthew twenty-eight to baptize the nations. Uh, Jesus said all power is given unto me into heaven, in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore the great commission and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever. I have commanded you a fulfillment of Isaiah 52.15, so he shall he sprinkle many nations. In 1 Peter 1-2, Peter writes, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. So if you look up sprinkle and sprinkling in a King James Bible concordance, you'll find 34 verses all having to do with the remission of sins. Uh, that, it, that is not the case uh, this is one reason why I believe in, in sprinkling or pouring uh, rather than immersion although it's not, you know, it's not a deal breaker uh, but if you look up immersion and various forms of the word you'll find nothing in the Bible about that uh, it's, it's an inference and I respect my Christian brothers who uh, make that inference uh, John the Baptist baptized in the Jordan River we know that Uh, That doesn't mean he submerged uh, or immersed people, immersion in it. Uh, That would have actually been somewhat strange to the ancient Israelites. It's more likely that he dipped his hand in the water and, following the Old Testament, sprinkled it on their head. However, having said all that, just to explain why we do it this way and not another way, why we do it here and not out there necessarily. I don't believe in making the form of baptism grounds for breaking fellowship with believers who sincerely think differently. I don't want to stand before the Lord and try to explain why I broke fellowship with my brothers and sisters over how much water we should have used in baptism. Uh, you know, If somebody ever asked me to baptize by immersion, I'd be honored to do that. Uh, if they asked me to baptize them with a fire hose, I would do that too. Uh, the point of baptism doesn't center around how many ounces or pints or quarts or gallons of water we use. That's not the point of baptism. I agree with the great Reformed Presbyterian theologian, Dr. Benjamin Warfield, who wrote, quote, "...in Jesus Christ we are washed clean of all our sins." He has given us a sign in baptism that our sins are washed away and a pledge that we shall be clean in him. Any application of water which will symbolize this cleansing will serve as such a sign and seal. Any application of water will serve as a sign and seal. See, we have to keep our eyes on what matters, the sacrament of baptism, and not be more dogmatic than Scripture. Now that we have dealt with that issue, let's focus on what is biblically important, the question that actually divides many people. It divides many people in our own, uh, what we call the uh, Reformed Church, which comes from the Protestant Reformation, uh, but it divides others as well. Uh, Does baptism save you? Does baptism save you? The Bible says that nothing saves you except the Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, not being baptized, not being a church member, not going to church, not partaking in the Lord's Supper, not having faithful Christian parents or volunteering for church projects, tithing, or more tithing and much more. Nothing you can do He's going to save you. God's grace saves you, is what Scripture says. Ephesians 2, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. What not of yourself? The faith. No. You're saved by God's grace, which is His free decision, through faith. And Scripture says in Ephesians 2, that faith is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. The salvation is the gift of God, even the faith we have is a gift of God. You can't talk somebody into believing uh, that Christ died for their sins. It takes the Holy Spirit to operate on, on their minds to convert them. Um, God's grace saves you. Grace, as I say, is God's free decision. He gives you the gift of faith. And it goes on to say, not of works, not of anything we do. Why? It says, lest any man should boast. If we had anything to do with our own salvation, we could brag about it, couldn't we? You know, well God doesn't want you to take any credit at all. So Paul, whose words, of course, are the Holy Spirit speaking through him, said in Romans 4, for if Abraham were justified or saved, you want to use that word, it's fine, by works, by what he does, what he did, he has whereof to glory. Okay. If Abraham was saved by what he did, then he'd have some grounds for saying, well, you know, I participated in that. You know, Jesus reached his hand down and I reached my hand up and that's how I got saved. Um, but what does Paul go on to say? Oh, if he if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. His faith was counted in Christ was counted unto him for righteousness. In modern language, that says if Abraham saved himself by doing good things, he could congratulate himself, but God would condemn him. What happened was that Abraham knew that whatever good things he did could not save him. He knew that only by believing what God told him could he be saved from hell. Romans 4, beginning in verse 9, makes the point again. It says quote for we say to Abraham his faith was reckoned for righteousness how then was it reckoned when he was in circumcision or uncircumcision not in circumcision but in uncircumcision and he received the sign of circumcision a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while he was in uncircumcision that he might be the father of all them that believe though they be in uncircumcision that righteousness might be reckoned unto them I realize that's a lot of words and a lot of different concepts here so we'll break very briefly and quickly break it down it says first Abraham believed God first Abraham believed God then he received the sign of circumcision first Abraham believed God and only then he received the sign of circumcision and what is called a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had when he was in uncircumcision. it's a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had when he was before he was circumcised, he had the faith. Before he was, he was given the silent and God gave Abraham, again, the sign of circumcision not before but after uh, his belief or justification. For the purpose of making it plain that justification, salvation is by God's decision called grace alone and is not secured or conditioned by the performance of any rite or ritual, including baptism. And according to what we've read, Abraham is the father of all of us who believe. We are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise given by Abraham, Scripture says. What does this have to do with baptism? Why am I talking about circumcision? Because baptism is the New Testament fulfillment of the Old Testament circumcision. It's the outward sign of the inward spiritual circumcision of the heart. It's even referenced in Romans 2.29, circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit. So New Testament circumcision is of the heart and the, the, uh, of, in the spirit. And baptism is then the New Testament fulfillment of the Old Testament physical circumcision. So again, Abraham, our fa- the father of all of us who believe, we are Abraham's seed and heirs. Uh, Galatians 3.29, if ye be Christ, then ye are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise not all those who are circumcised are his children and heirs even back in ancient Israel they weren't all God's children, we know that because it says there's a remnant among even in Israel uh, of those who believe uh, it is not circumcision but faith which counts for as Paul wrote elsewhere in Galatians 3, 7 and 9 they that are of faith the same are sons of Abraham so not every Jew is, is a true son of Abraham. You know this. Paul. Remember when Jesus told this to the Pharisees? You think your your father's Abraham? Your father's not Abraham. Your father's the devil. Even though know, they were devout Jews, not every not every Israelite was of the Lord. It's only the remnant, only only a remnant of people, just as just as us. So. Baptism being the New Testament circumcision is the outward sign of the inward spiritual circumcision of the heart. Again, Romans 2.29, circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit. So if we understand what circumcision meant, we can understand what baptism means. In Romans 4.11, circumcision is called a sign and a seal. Specifically, quote, the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he, and they're speaking of Abraham, had while he was in uncircumcision. God, in his grace, gave Abraham circumcision as a sign and seal of this righteousness that God had already given him. I'll say that again. God, in his grace, gave Abraham circumcision As a sign and a seal of this righteousness that God had already given him. Circumcision marked Abraham out by a visible sign as one who had received righteousness from God and was henceforth to be the Lord's, and it sealed that righteousness to him under a covenant promise. That's why the Lord separated Israel from the nations around them, the pagan nations around them. You are to be different, you're going to dress differently. You're going to eat differently. You're going to obey my laws, so you'll act differently. And the males will be circumcised. So they were set apart. So we holy means set apart. Uh, you are a holy people, a holy nation. Baptism, as I said, the fulfillment of Old Testament circumcision. That's why baptism is called the circumcision of Christ in Colossians 2. That is, of means given by in that context. It says, Ye are circumcised with the circumcision. some talking New Testament believers in Christ. Ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who has raised him from the dead. So think of baptism as this circumcision of Christ, that is, the circumcision given by Christ. Now, baptism belongs to all those and only to those who are the Lord's, who are saved. Now, that sounds like an argument for what they call believer's baptism. That you have to make a, be an adult, make a profession of faith, and be baptized. Because baptism belongs to all those and only those who are the Lord's. But I'm saying precisely the opposite. We should baptize infants even though they can't make a profession of faith. Now you're thinking perhaps, well, pastor, how can you believe in baptizing infants who can't profess faith in Christ? You know you're going to be baptizing some who are going to become his enemies. I mean, no doubt there have been millions, billions maybe, of infants who were baptized who never professed Christ in their life, made it clear they wanted nothing to do with him, who died in their sins, and they were baptized. And there's no question of that. In fact, I I looked up, just for fun to see, in in the lives of some of the great monsters of history, did you know that both Hitler and Stalin were baptized? Um, Stalin even went to a seminary to study for the priesthood remember what I just said baptism belongs to all of those and only those who are the Lord's who are truly saved now obviously if a baptized person dies while rejecting Christ as their Savior and Lord they were never his to begin with so their baptism didn't mean anything did it So how are we to know if an infant is of the Lord if he or she can't make a profession of faith? We can't. We can't. But stop to think about this. Is a profession of faith an absolute guarantee that someone is saved? Is a profession of faith an absolute guarantee that someone, an adult, is saved? How many people have made a sincere profession, or at least a sincere-sounding profession of faith, been baptized and then fell away? Probably hundreds of millions, if not, again, billions. You probably know people who once said they believed, and now it's obvious by where they live they don't believe. No one except the Lord knows who's saved and who's not. That's why we witness to everybody. We don't know who's going to be saved and who's not. But a profession of faith is no guarantee that a person is saved. Only the Lord knows heart, their hearts. So if we need a guarantee that a person is saved before we can baptize them, then we can't baptize infants. And we can't baptize adults either. Because a profession of faith is no guarantee that a person is saved. We're to baptize all who come in faith. Adults who make a credible profession of faith and the children, their children that they present for baptism, even those children that are too young to make a profession of faith, if they fall away and die in their sins, it doesn't matter at what age they were baptized, does it? It's irrelevant. It just proves that they were never the Lord's to begin with. If someone who was baptized as an infant later rejects Christ and dies in their sins, does it matter in the least what age they were baptized? You know, whether they were six days old or you know, 100 years old? It just proves that they remember the Lord's to begin with. You know, I do have to admit I am a little jealous of our friends who call themselves Baptists. I think we should be called Baptists. I mean, they only baptize adults. We'll, we baptize a whole lot more people than that. Deuteronomy 29, we find that even the little children were to be in covenant with God. It says, your little ones, your wives, and thy stranger that is in thy camp, from the hewer of thy wood unto the drawer of thy water, that thou should enter into covenant with the Lord thy God. Your little ones, it says. There's only one other argument I can think of that the opponents of infant baptism could make. And that argument would be that all infants who die before they can make a profession of faith go to hell there are people who believe that it has been controversial in, uh, in the church uh, in some cases uh, there are also those who can't stomach that idea so they've made up a place which supposedly hangs between heaven and hell not quite heaven it's not hell either the Roman Catholic faith calls this place limbo uh, you're not going to find that in the Bible by the way but it's something they've made up to get around that idea But if you believe the Bible, you must believe the Lord saves those whom he wills to save, whether they are infants or adults. Do I believe that some infants go to heaven before they can make a profession of faith? Absolutely. Absolutely, I do. Uh, Why? Well, for one thing, as we've just read out of Ephesians, he says it's by grace you're saved. So an infant can't do anything, but that's okay, because God saves by grace. He inspired David to write in Psalm 22, I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. And he contrasted that with those who are condemned before their birth. In Psalm 58, the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. Psalm 71, by thee have I been holden up from the womb. And the Lord says of Samson in Judges 13 and uh, verses 5, and again repeats it in 7, For the child should be a Nazarite unto God from the womb. So if you believe the Lord when he said of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee, and before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. While well, he was still in his mother's womb. He says... In Romans 9, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, or of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. Not of him that wills it, but of God that showeth mercy. In order to be saved. The Lord said John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Ghost while he was still in his mother's womb. In Luke 1, he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. The Lord says he loved Jacob and hated Esau, Romans 9, before either of them were ever born. It says in verse 11, for the children, being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth God. So I can't fathom how someone could read those verses and others and believe that all who die in infancy are damned or they go to some place... Even mentioned in the Bible, God's word is crystal clear. There are many who are chosen to be saved by the Lord while still in the womb. Indeed, they were all of God's children were chosen long before their birth. Ephesians one four, He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. Even before the world was created, God knew you and He chose you, and He said He named you, and He said you will be born under these circumstances at this particular time and you will be saved you will be my child I picked you out before the birth was created going back to, to my well that is part of my point ideally we should baptize only adults who are saved and we should baptize ideally only those infants who are saved and if we had a way to determine that that's what we would do but of course we can't say with absolute certainty that any particular adult is saved even those who make a wonderful confession of faith because Romans 10.10 tells us that the righteousness of Christ and our resultant salvation <coughs> excuse me which are inseparable involves both the mouth and the heart that is the mind for with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation but no one can know another's heart or his mind can you not for sure And we can't say with absolute certainty that any particular infant is saved. We don't know for sure who the saved are. The Lord does. So we're to baptize both adults who confess Christ as their Lord and Savior and the children who they present for baptism by parents who are confessing Christians. If someone, whether an adult or a child, is the Lord's, they have a right to the sign that they are his and to the pledge of his holy keeping. Since we have no way of knowing who they are, we're to baptize all who are presented in faith. Remember, circumcision, which held a place in the Old Covenant that baptism holds in the New, was to be given to all infants born within the Covenant. Circumcision was to be given to all infants born within the Covenant. And baptism as the New Testament circumcision, the circumcision of Christ, Colossians 2.11, must follow the same rule. If you remember nothing else of the sermon, I'd like you to remember this. Every time we baptize an infant, we declare that salvation is altogether of the Lord. Every time we baptize an infant, we declare that salvation is altogether of the Lord. See, because if salvation depends on anything we do, no infant can be saved. There's nothing an infant can do. But there's nothing an adult can do to be saved either. Remember the repentant thief on the cross? Luke 23 Jesus promised him verily I say unto thee today thou shalt be with me in paradise remember that what good works did that dying thief ever do he wasn't even baptized yet we know he went to heaven because he made a profession of faith he, had, he was given the gift of faith, apparently given the gift of faith right on the cross, too, just moments, moments before he died. So Paul's purpose in explaining circumcision was to show from the case of Abraham that salvation is a gift from God and the signs and seals come afterward. Every time we baptize an infant, we bear witness that salvation is from God, that we can't do anything to, go, to secure it, that a little infant hasn't done anything to secure salvation, that we receive salvation from God's hands is a sheer gift from him and we all and another thing that baptizing children and infants does reminds us we all enter the kingdom of heaven as little children Jesus said do not forbid the little children to come unto me for such is the kingdom of heaven finally baptism symbolizes not only the cleansing of our souls but also our new life in Christ. Romans 6, 4, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism unto death, into death, excuse me, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. See you as a baptized child of the covenant have the Lord's mark on you. And because of that mark upon you and resting on his pledge, you can go forward in joy and expectation of his gracious keeping in this life and his acceptance of you into glory into heaven. So under that encouragement, we are daily and hourly and momentarily to work out our salvation, as scripture says, thus sealed to us. It doesn't mean we work and get salvation. It means we are saved and we're to live as we are as God instructs us to live. That's what working out our salvation. In the knowledge that it is God who in fulfillment of his pledge is working in us both to will and to do his good pleasure. Philippians 2.13 says it says God, for it is God which works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Philippians 2.13 so we shall, as the Protestant reformers expressed it, improve our baptism. I mentioned this earlier in the, in the service, and it's on the back of your your bulletin, uh, Westminster Larger Catechism, question 163, and in the original it's all um, footnoted with scripture. So uh, we don't have room on the bulletin to do that, but uh, if you would look that up, Westminster Larger Catechism, you'll see every statement in the catechism supported by scripture. Um, And the question, how is our baptism to be improved by us? Quote, the needful but much neglected duty of improving our baptism is to be performed by us all our life long, especially in the time of temptation, and when we are present at the administration of it, which we shall be today, the Lord willing, by serious and thankful consideration of the nature of it and of the ends for which Christ instituted it, the privileges and benefits conferred and sealed thereby, and our solemn vow made therein, by being humbled for our sinful defilement, our falling short of and walking contrary to the grace of baptism and our engagements, by growing up to assurance and pardon of sin, and of all other blessings sealed to us in that sacrament, by drawing strength from the death and resurrection of Christ into whom we are baptized for the mortifying of sin and quickening of grace, and by endeavoring to live by faith, to have our conversation, that means our behavior, in holiness and righteousness, as those that have therein given up their names to Christ, and to walk in brotherly love, as being baptized by the same Spirit into one body. That's how we shall improve our baptism. So, down your bulletin, take time to study that, pick that apart, look at each part of it, say, "How, how can I apply that in my life to improve my baptism? A baptism reminds all of us who've been baptized that we have shared these same waters. Again, Romans six three four: Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that, like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So to improve our baptism, we must live by what it signifies as we walk moment by moment with him, denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following him. Whenever Martin Luther felt tempted by the powers of evil, he said when he was overwhelmed by his fears or tempted to doubt God's love, he said he'd remind himself that he should work to improve his baptism. He would fight temptation by repeating to himself, I am baptized and believe in Christ crucified. And he'd repeat that. I am baptized. I have the mark of Christ on me. he say, get away. Get away from me. I have the mark of Christ. He'd remember Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me the life which I now live in the flesh I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me so do the same as you work to improve your own baptism let's pray Father indeed we ask for thy grace to improve our baptism to make us understand what that that means Lord, we uh, thank Thee that we're going to have the opportunity to baptize two young children today, two infants. We thank Thee, Lord, that uh, we can welcome them to the covenant membership of this church. Lord, we ask that uh, since this is an ordinance that even the Lord Jesus Christ submitted himself to, that we recognize the importance of it, Father, and significance of it. Father, we continue to pray for this church. Uh, we are small in numbers, but certainly not in faith, Father. We see this constantly displayed. Please increase our faith, Father. Forgive us of our sins. Bring us together as families to study thy word, to pray, to praise thee, Father. Let us not neglect uh, the ministering to our families, Father. Father, improve us, not only improving our baptism, but through improving our baptism, improve us as mothers, fathers, grandfathers, and grandmothers, and as children of parents, grandparents, uh, make us obedient, uh, quell the rebellion that is naturally a part of us, Father. Lord, uh, bless each home. Let it be a beacon, a a shining city on the hill, Father, uh, welcoming all around Come into the light of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Give us the scriptures in our memory, Father. Let's memorize scriptures so that when we witness to others, Father, that we will know these scriptures and it will be the word of God that converts them. Because that's a, only thy word will convert a um, sinners heart, Father. Father, we ask thy blessings upon us now as we, as we finish the service and uh, go into our baptism service us fellowship one with another. Father, we thank you for the high privilege of worshiping this morning. What is in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray. Well, we have uh, indicated in the uh, sermon, I'm talking about, about baptism, it's It's a holy ordinance instituted by Jesus Christ. And our covenant children are heritage from the Lord, and they belong to the covenant membership of the church. The Lord God made his covenant promise to believers and their children, and our children have an interest in his covenant of grace, no less than the children of Abraham in the Old Testament. In fact, there is now an abundance of God's grace under the new covenant in Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ admitted little children into his presence, embracing them. Blessing them, saying, For of such is the kingdom of God. So God's covenant ordinance does require that children of believing parents be presented for baptism. And James and Beverly Evans uh, now present Karina Brianne, Brianne Evans for baptism. James and Beverly, in presenting Karina for baptism, do you confess your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And do you promise, in dependence on the grace of God, to bring up Karina in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? James and Beverly, by virtue of your confession, Karina may be admitted to the covenant membership of this church, but this baptism is not sufficient to make her continue as a member of this church. As Karina matures, she will be subject to the obligations of the covenant, which are faith, repentance, and obedience. If she does not publicly profess Christ and walk with the Lord, she will be a covenant breaker and will be subject to the discipline of the church. Therefore, it is your duty to teach Karina to read, study, and meditate upon the word of God, to instruct her in the Westminster Confession of Faith and Catechisms, and to pray for her. Do you acknowledge Karina's need of the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ and the renewing grace of the Holy Spirit? do. Do you claim God's covenant promises in her behalf? And do you look in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ for her salvation as you do for your own? Do you promise in homo-reliance upon divine grace that you will endeavor to set before Karina a godly example, that you will pray for her, that you will teach her the doctrines of our holy religion, and that you will strive by all the means of God's appointment to bring her up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Stephen and Catherine Gomez now present Desmond Roger Gomez for baptism. Stephen and Catherine, in presenting Desmond for baptism, do you confess your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and do you promise independence on the grace of God to bring up Desmond in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Stephen and Catherine, by virtue of your confession, Desmond may be admitted to the covenant membership of this church, but this baptism is not sufficient to make him continue as a member of this church. As Desmond matures, he will be subject to the obligations of the covenant, which are faith, repentance, and obedience. If he does not publicly profess Christ and walk with the Lord, he will be a covenant breaker and will be subject to the discipline of the church. Therefore, it is your duty to teach Desmond to read, study, and meditate upon the word of God, to instruct him in the Westminster Confession of Faith and Catechisms and to pray for him. Do you acknowledge Desmond's need of the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ and the renewing grace of the Holy Spirit? Do you claim God's covenant promises in his behalf and do you look in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ for his salvation as you do for your own? Do you promise in humble reliance upon divine grace that you will endeavor to set before Desmond a godly example, that you will pray for him, that you will teach him the doctrines of our holy religion, and that you will strive by all the means of God's appointment to bring him up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank thee for the church of thy son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and for the ministry of thy word, and for the sacraments of grace. We pray that... Thou hast given us gracious promises. We praise Thee that Thou hast given us gracious promises concerning our children, and, and that in mercy Thou hast called them to Thyself, marking them with this sacrament as a token and pledge of Thy love. Set apart this water from a common use to a sacred use, and grant that what we do now on earth may be confirmed in heaven. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. We now present Marina, Brian Evans to thee in humble faith, Father. and the Holy Ghost. Amen. May the blessings of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit descend upon you, Karina, and dwell in your heart forever. <laughs> that was an amen. <laughs> Karina has now received the mark of the covenant. The church is a covenant community. And everyone in the covenant community has a responsibility toward our covenant children. I would like it if you would respond audibly to this congregation. Do you as a congregation undertake the responsibility of assisting Jim and Beverly in the Christian nurture of Karina? and Catherine Gomez will now present Desmond for baptism Desmond Roger Gomez I baptize you in the name of the Father Son and of the Holy Spirit. May the blessings of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit descend upon you and dwell in your heart forever. Desmond Gomez has now received the Mark of the Covenant. And my same question to the community, to the congregation in the covenant community who has a responsibility toward our covenant children. Do you as a congregation undertake the responsibility of assisting Sevi and Cat in the Christian nurture of Desmond? we do. Let us pray. Father, we acknowledge with all thankfulness that thou art true and faithful and keeping thy covenant and bestowing mercy upon thy people. We acknowledge that thou art a good and gracious God. Not only have thou numbered us among thy saints, but thou art pleased also to bestow upon us thy children in this singular token and badge of thy love in Christ in thy truth and special providence. Father, we thank thee for daily bringing some into the bosom of thy church to be partakers of thy inestimable benefits purchased by the blood of thy son for the continuance and increase of his church. We pray, Father, receive the infants now baptized, Karina and Desmond, and solemnly entered into the covenant household of faith, into thy fatherly tutelage and defense, and remember them with the favor that thou showest to thy people teach them by thy word and spirit, make their baptism effectual to them, and so uphold them by thy divine power and grace, that by faith they may prevail against the devil, the world, and the flesh, and until the end they obtain a full and final victory, and so to be kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Sacrament <laughs> is ended. That wasn't so bad, was it? <laughs> <laughs> I've learned from previous baptism to be very careful not to get the water in the eyes because they don't like that. He's <laughs> looking <laughs> No, I wouldn't mind it to myself. Thank you. I mean, that's of the Lord, is it not? totally of the Lord. It's amazing.